You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 35 of the Community Pulse Under the Influencers. Uh, we'll be talking to a couple of great, great guests about influencers and community stars and what this all means. Uh, Jason will not be joining us, unfortunately, today because he's in Sweden. We do have Mary. And before we get started, we'd like to give you a little shout out, a little message from our sponsors at IBM. Are you building cloud applications with Java, AI, machine learning, serverless, and containers? IBM Developer provides a large number of code patterns, sample applications, articles, tutorials, and videos to help you build faster. All code is available on GitHub. You can incorporate any code into existing applications or use it to start a new application. Simply go to communitypulse.io slash IBM Developer to access IBM Developer resources and start building. You can also find us on Twitter at IBM Developer. So that's our sponsor. Uh, now we'd like to welcome our guests, uh, Rachel and Marshall. Why don't the two of you introduce yourselves? Marshall, go ahead. Wonderful. Thanks, Rachel. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Kirkpatrick. These days, uh, I work for a wonderful company called Sprinkler. Uh, Sprinkler is the largest social media management and customer experience uh, platform on the web. Uh, it is... It's been gathering social data for 10 years and building artificial intelligence to analyze that data in order to make scalable and efficient the, uh, the listening and learning and research and customer care and more for uh, many, many, many of the largest companies in the world. Uh, in particular, I am responsible there for influencer relations, for analyst relations, so working with, uh, with analyst firms, large and small, and recently added competitive intelligence to my list of responsibilities as well. Uh, my background is in uh, data journalism, and I love the developer community. I find it just fascinating and inspirational. I have written about developer relations a fair amount over the years and built my own startup, uh, which I sold to Sprinkler just a couple of years ago. I am Rachel Hoppy, and I run a company called the Community Roundtable, and this is also our 10th year, which seems kind of crazy. Um, we do a lot of professional services around using social technology, so think engagement, collaboration, etc. but my background is actually technology and management consulting. So I used to be a product manager. Um, I used to run uh, product groups for social software companies. Um, and before that, I was in operations. Um, and uh, we do a lot of research in this space. We have a community of practice of our own. And we also do a lot of advisory work for very large organizations around their engagement strategies. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, to kind of uh, facilitate the conversation, uh, we should point out that the, the, the idea behind this this particular episode and having the two of you on started with um, a conversation the two of you were having on Twitter. Mary caught onto it. Um, and it was just a, a tweet that Rachel had put out saying, contemplating influence versus popularity after speaking with Marshall Kirkpatrick at, at the Sprinkler event yesterday. They can be entirely different things. I'm not as popular as such, but people I do connect with, I influence and vice versa. All is right in my world. 
And this is a great tweet in and of itself. Like out of context, it's a great tweet. Um, I think it, it gets people to think about things. But in order to kind of talk about it, let's let's kind of talk about how this whole thing works. Um, like what is an influencer? I know that this gets tossed around a lot. I know that I have, over the past couple of months, talked a lot about the Fire Festival um, because I've watched every single documentary about it and it's so upsetting to me. Um, we all. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's it's a bad situation. Um, so what, in, in the context of what we're talking about, what is an influencer? Well, Rachel, would you like me to jump in and, and offer a, a big picture take on that, even though we're discussing your tweet? So, uh, so uh, opinions about influencers are like opinions about a lot of other things. Everybody's got one. Uh, and, uh, and it's really a, a fairly arbitrary word, I, I would say. Uh, and I've been working in this space for more than a decade. Uh, there are, uh, I'd say, uh, it, it's typically assumed that an online influencer is someone with a large audience, typically uh, whom they are able to issue effective calls to action uh, towards. And in a commercial context, uh, people presume that they are folks who can drive sales and, and revenue. Uh, I think uh, that's a, a pretty limited understanding of what uh, an influencer can be uh, understood as, uh, but there's a, there's a million different ways to, uh, to discover and determine who is, is particularly influential. The way that, uh, that we do it, uh, the, the startup that I started and uh, that's now part of Sprinkler, so the way Sprinkler is doing it, uh, is through a, a specific model called social graph analysis where to us, uh, by our definition, an influencer is someone who has uh, won the respect and interest and attention of other subject matter experts in a particular field, in a particular context. And the way that we measure that is through an analysis of the Twitter follow relationship by pinging the, uh, the Twitter API, which is uniquely open in its ability to see who follows who else. So, for example, to conclude this def long-winded uh, definition of what an influencer is, uh, for example, in the specific context of community management, if I may, uh, we can analyze thousands of different people and organizations uh, who do community management type work, and the node, the most connected node in the network, at the center of that network, the most followed person uh, among community managers, by community managers, is our guest, Rachel. Uh, who's here with us today, for example. She is the community management expert most followed by other community managers, and thus we call her the most influential person in that context. Right, I really so like that there's an actual like graph that you have built out around that, right? That's fascinating to me. Um, and I think particularly because we live in an age where so many people are proclaiming themselves to be influencers, and it's, it's been curious to me to see that happening because you've got, you know, people speaking up and, and saying, I'm a thought leader in this area and, and things like that where, sorry? It's like saying you're beautiful. That's not up to you to decide. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's interesting to me to see companies stepping up and going, no, no, no. We have an algorithm that decides for you whether or not you actually qualify for this. And I... Um, a couple of weeks ago was poking around on Amazon because I had seen someone with a like 
here's my suggestions page kind of a deal. And I was curious, you know, how did they create that and what was that and how did they make it happen? And Amazon has a similar thing where you can sign up and put in like, here, connect my Twitter account, connect my Instagram account. And they decide for you in about 20 seconds whether or not you are eligible to sign up for that type of an account, which then qualifies you to be able to create that type of a suggestions page and this whole thing. And so it's fascinating to me that there are there are algorithms behind that, figuring out, eh, mm, according to our system, no, you don't qualify, or yes, you do. Yeah, I don't know what that algorithm uh, that Amazon uses is. I'm gonna guess, uh, especially if it's doing that determination so quickly, uh, it may be looking at popularity, uh, and it may have uh, a, a blacklist of bot accounts that, if possible, it can compare against your social graph of followers to determine uh, how many of your followers uh, may be bots or, or fake. Uh, but there's any number of different ways they can do that. Uh, and that example is a, a good one because it is, uh, it's a, a ultimately a transactional program where uh, Amazon wants you to sing the praises of specific Amazon products to help sell products, and then you'll be compensated financially for it. And that represents, uh, in my mind, the, the very first stage of a maturity model in influencer relations. Amazon is an incredible example because they go beyond that first stage and go uh, all the way up to some very sophisticated research and product and market intelligence uh, work that they do through influencer development, uh, you know, developing relationships with people uh, that are much more strategic than that, uh, that last mile uh, advocacy and sales kind of use case. But since it is a maturity model, they're nailing every step along the way and, uh, and are doing a good job of that, that uh, transactional type of influencer marketing. Which actually gets me to like how I would think about influence versus popularity, which is I think we think about engagement too simplistically and we measure it incorrectly. So uh, a lot of people will be like, I want more engagement. And I'm like, the heck does that mean? Like that could be anything. That could be a bunch of people throwing tomatoes at you or it could be actually deep, rich conversations. And the two things are not the same at all and they don't have the same value. Um, and so I think that, that, that thinking extends to influencers. And so then you're just looking at follower counts and being like, oh, they must be an influencer. They have 110,000 followers. And you're like, maybe. But if it's not consolidated in any one space and it, half of it is bots and whatever, like, what are they actually going to do for you? And so then we kind of break down engagement into buckets. And I would say to be a deep influencer, you have to engage in dialogue with people. You have to be able to challenge them effectively, which means you also have to be supportive. Meaning if they don't know you're supportive and you challenge them, then you're just an asshole, right? <laughs> right? Like you're not going to actually change their thinking about anything. Exactly. Um, and so that requires a relationship. Um, and you have to be open yourself to being changed, right? Like you can't go at it like, 
I am going to proclaim my expertise to the world and they are going to come back and listen and that's going to be great. So, so relationships are influence. So in, so in some ways, it, you're kind of saying that in order to be an influencer, you have to be influenced. Yes. Um, you have to have the capability and flexibility to say, you know, yes, I'm going to promote this product or work for this company or work with this project or whatever, whatever it is you're, you're trying to promote. But at the same time, you have to be open to the idea that things might not be perfect in, in, in the world. Um, and I think that's, that's the interesting thing. I think that kind of develops because uh, the, other, the other thing that was mentioned when we first started building this, this podcast was the idea of a community star. Um, and we're seeing this more, especially in the developer relations world, where there's a difference between being an influencer, which is someone that can say something and people are like, oh, great idea. We should keep that in mind moving forward. You know, like dating myself here, but like 10 years ago, when people like testing, we should be doing testing. And there are a few people that held on to that. And there's like, yes, absolutely. Testing is a thing we should do. And let's all talk about testing. And now, you know, you have people like Kelsey Hightower, who's like, Kubernetes. Yes, Kubernetes. Absolutely. Anything you say is brilliant. He's an influencer in the tech world, but we're also seeing more people come up that are, are more the community star type that is kind of like, hey, I'm just here. I'm hanging out. I'm living the, the rock star lifestyle. Don't really have much to say or add to the conversation. Um, don't really listen to anything that the community is saying either at the same time, but I'm here to be a famous person. Um, I don't even think it has to be that influential. I think of those type of people as just... Uh, they produce a lot. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that crosses over with being an influencer. And sometimes it's just, I produce a lot <laughs> noise of like, whatever. Yeah. And I think that, I think it's, it's a signal versus noise question, I think. And, and Marshall, I think you have the stats. Like, I think there's a, a bigger difference between, you know, I'm an influencer to, I'm just constantly tweeting things. I'm sure if you analyzed my tweets, you would see, I'm just constantly tweeting things. Well, you know, Rachel and I were having a debate about this an hour ago. Uh, okay. <laughs> earlier this morning uh, in particular. And uh, I was marveling at the, the compounding benefits of consistent, high volume, high value content production uh, in terms of creating legacy content, for website traffic, for creating a, a flywheel of ever bigger business opportunities and connections. And in particular, I, I said uh, a, a nonlinear uh, compounding growth of web traffic. Uh, it, but wow, is it hard uh, to maintain, to produce a lot of stuff that's good consistently. And Rachel saw that tweet and jumped in and said, absolutely not. Or she said, I <laughs> This is why we wanted the two of you who want the controversy. She, uh, she challenged whether it was I suggested that that's not actually a compounding value curve. Yes. I, and then I, I posted a link to uh, a Redpoint VC uh, blog post from a few years ago about the long tail compounding value of content marketing. Rachel took the time to dig in and read it and uh, grab a specific uh, graph from it, post it back, uh, to me and, and challenge me further on that. Then I had three hours of meetings and hadn't been able to dig into the conversation. But in the meantime, Dion Hinchcliffe, uh, one of the most influential people in the world in digital transformation, an incredible thinker, uh, working in no code uh, development more and more these days and lots of lessons and stuff, he jumped in 
and uh, and took uh, he and Rachel uh, had a conversation about the the impact of community and really cultivating community like community roundtable is so good at helping people do uh, to be the source of compounding content and traffic and value and what have you and then uh, Jesus uh, Hoyas uh, came in and said he had specific experience doing that. He's really influential as well and posted a, a case study and a, a whole big conversation is uh, is rolling up now and it's it's pretty awesome. A heated debate and I look forward to You have a lot there. of catching up to do. <laughs> I do, yeah. Well, uh, but, so to, to that, I guess to, that, to though, Which is like, this is a perfect example because this, this that what that blog content was from a VC who supposedly has a financial background. I don't know who he is. Like, I don't know, but he didn't post a compounding value graph. So I was like, you should know what that is. <laughs> but he called the blog post the compounding value of content marketing. Yes. Well, as I said, I'm gonna, I promised I'd zip my lips until I got a chance to go back. Well, my, my point is he, he is probably also an influencer on that chart somewhere. And there's probably a lot of people who don't call him on it because even me, and I've like worked with compounding growth curves a lot. I looked at it and I'm like, am I not seeing something? Like, am I missing something here? Because like, a VC should know this. So like, who am I to be questioning? Like, I'm not a financial expert. Like, you know, who am I to be saying something? But it doesn't, like, I'm either missing something or it doesn't look right. You know, honestly, that is a great characterization of, uh, of how one builds and sustains influence, especially in, a, in a, a social, very accessible web. If you find yourself asking, who am I? Uh, to do this or to, to do that, and yet you pull it off uh, and can stick with it uh, and develop relationships. Uh, that's, that's one of the grooviest ways to, to build influence, I believe. It's all about how you say something, in my opinion. Yeah, words, words are important and difficult. But it's, it's interesting. So you said, you said something interesting, Rachel, that it's, it's difficult to call an influencer out, right? Mm -hmm. If you see them saying something that you disagree with, or you see them say, not including information that they should have included, or if it seems like they aren't representing something in a proper manner, how, how do we go about holding them accountable after they've hit a point where people recognize them as an influencer, especially in a day and age today where you could ask a very valid question on social media, but given the 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 uh as social media tends to be <laughs> given given that danger zone that exists there right you call an influencer out and say kindly and politely hey so i noticed this thing and this thing and you didn't include this and suddenly there's potential for hundreds of their followers to jump down your neck and rip you to shreds yeah so or even you, just even, not even rip you to shreds, just how dare you? How dare yeah. you question this this voice of authority? Mm -hmm. Why I like communities better than social media. But hey. uh, <laughs> I agree with you there. <laughs> culture and the behavior, but I think part of it is being modest, and then part of it is also the other people, 
person being intellectually modest enough that they can have the conversation. Because maybe it is, maybe I need to learn something. Like maybe I did miss something. I still, I'm still open to the fact that I'm completely missing something on that blog post. It doesn't look right to me, but talk me through your logic. Right. Um, so well, I think it's about being flexible instead of like throwing mud at each other and be like, you're wrong. You're yeah. wrong. Your baby's <laughs> ugly. No, yours is ugly. No, like that, that doesn't <laughs> really get you anywhere. And there's a few like tricks that I've learned in community management that work really well. And I don't know if you heard me when I was responding to Marshall, but just saying in my opinion or my expertise or in my experience, that doesn't look right. Which is different than saying that's wrong. Exactly. Yep. It's kind of the, 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 the gentle uh, continuance of the conversation. Cause I think even if you're like, you know, in my opinion, this doesn't look right. Um, you're kind of saying, lead me to your line of thinking. Yeah. Help me to understand. And it, it, whereas you're wrong is just like, you're wrong. Thank it's you. I'm done. The conversation's done. So, Mic drop, conversation's yeah. over. Yeah. So I, I call all of that uh, linguistic, uh, those linguistic tricks, the language of engagement. Like there is a, a way you say things that is engaging versus uh, transactional. Right. Right. And that I engagement like that. is important. And I appreciated that piece of your definition of who is an influencer containing the section about you have to be willing to learn. It's not a, I have reached this pedestal and I am as high as I can go and I don't have anything else to learn. Right. And I think that's the difference to me between someone who classifies themselves as an influencer versus someone who has been proclaimed by other people to be an influencer. But I think that's a, that can be a difficult boundary in some cases for, for folks who I think especially in developer relations and especially in the, the day and age where we are with social media, where, you know, one article might take off and you suddenly go from a few hundred followers to several thousand followers or more overnight. And then you're, you're kind of in this very shaky, very unsure, what do I do? How do I handle this right. section of, of the internet? I think if that happens, like, I grew up the daughter of a minister and everybody wanted my time and I had no influence. And so like I learned early the difference between popularity and popularity does very little for me because I'm like, I don't like, like clearly we're not going to have a relationship because you're putting me on a pedestal that I don't deserve. Right. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't right. know. I don't know your truth certainly. Um, but any time where you get a spike like that, I just see risk, right? Like that article that I wrote that got 2,000 followers all, all of a sudden, that was really incendiary. That was not engaging. That was, that was a, like a triggering article. So on social media, anything that triggers me, I tend to back away from. I'm like, something's not right there. Like either it's not right or it's not a healthy conversation and either one, I want no part of it. And so like, and I think that's hard for people to differentiate because people get their hackles up all the time about stuff and you need to just like <laughs> step away from the flame. Just, right. just, 
Just write your tweet response, delete it, think about if you really want to do it, then try to write it again. There you go. Well, and I think that's the difference between someone suddenly and unexpectedly gaining influence and someone being an influencer, right? Because you you might get to a point where you suddenly have a lot of followers and you're suddenly able to have influence in an area. But I think that's the the difference that I have seen between people who have a lot of followers and people who are influencers. The main the main difference that I've seen is that people who are influencers are able to understand the power that their platform has and use that, like you said, to engage people, to encourage conversation, to encourage diversity, to encourage greater thinking about issues that we're having rather than just saying, nope, this is a thing. This is what we're doing. Well, so End like, of conversation. one of the interesting things that I mentioned to somebody recently and they were like, what? And I think it's related to this is I have grown my network on Twitter, certainly slowly. I've been on Twitter over a decade. It's like, I don't have, I have enough followers. Like, I don't know what enough followers are. I have a lot of, followers, <laughs> a lot of people who I don't know who follow me. Um, uh, I have never been harassed on Twitter. And so as a woman out on the open web, people are like, what? You've never been harassed? Yeah, you're, you're definitely the exception to the rule, I think, in this well, one. I mean, I know I'm, I, I'm not all that. So, you know, whatever. But I don't think that has anything to do with it. I actually think it's because I have slowly cultivated how I engage online. I haven't gotten a huge, like, deluge of 100,000 people who, like, don't know me from anything other than this one thing that I did. (laughs) And so I tend to have civil, like, it's not that I don't disagree with people online, I do, but I, it never gets to the creepy stalkery stage. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I, I think it's interesting though, too, that I think that, you know, you're, you're talking about having a positive influence, but there's people who have gained the level of influencer and maybe their views are to use as gentle a euphemism I can wickedly outdated. Uh, and yet there are still people who defend them in the community. I can think of a few people who, who, uh, either speak publicly on, on the regular or, or or on Twitter and they say one thing. And like you said, extremely incendiary and the whole internet goes crazy Then it calms down. Then they do it again. Um, because they enjoy this kind of negative attraction. I don't know anyone like that. I'm sure you don't. (laughs) I'm sure you only know nice people. Um, well, if I may come at this from a different angle, uh, that sounds terribly boring. Uh, that, Agreed. That kind of, of crisis manufactured uh, attention for attention's sake and what have you. And, and, uh, and it, that may serve some people's interests well. Um, but I think that, you know, I think that a, a big part of the value of these thought leaders and influencers uh, that, that we haven't discussed or, or we've discussed less uh, here is not so much in the way they can move the, the outside world and you know, the web that we're all a part of, um, where, where you know, we're 
the internet is largely just people like us, right? Are we how susceptible to un, unthinking, you know, uh, influence uh, are we? Uh, it's that's kind of cloudy, uh, but uh, there is a huge source of value uh, from connecting with these thought leaders and influencers uh, that can be derived from learning from them. You know, uh, Rachel, for example has, I, I love it when Rachel talks about our work uh, or when Dion talks about our work or any number of other folks that, that have a lot of influence. Um, but it, and it's nice and it, it drives some business value for us for sure. But wow, does it pale in comparison to the business value that I've been able to derive from um, learning from these folks and reading their work and taking their work in, into my mind and using it to inform my work to work better and to share it with my coworkers, and uh, and and that uh, has been you know the the real perhaps under the uh, the the tip of the iceberg you know the the real lion's share of value that that I've been able to derive from doing influencer relations over the years and and sometimes I want to take a contrary perspective to the I, I like what Rachel said about how a, a spike is just a signal of risk that's thought provoking uh, but uh, I disagree with it uh, and the, the reason why is uh, I think there's a different way to relate to people uh, who see that kind of spike uh, about 10 years ago HP labs did this study uh, where they did some link analysis of life hacker boing boing Nidorama, some different uh, cool curation blogs uh, some of the early ones that blew up real fast. And they went back and they found uh, by analyzing the source uh, material uh, for all of these curated links uh, that there was a, a small set of much lesser known uh, blogs and websites that the big blogs were consistently finding things through. And uh, Far fewer people were paying attention to those little sites, even though they were being linked to. Um, but uh, the opportunity to go upstream and pay attention to those source sites early and in all cases, not just when a life hacker or boing boing deemed something they posted worthy of consideration, um, really got my wheels turning. And when I think now about uh, you know, someone else who has a, a, a formative moment on the social web where they make one contribution that, uh, that shows up like a flash and, uh, and a few thousand people perhaps start listening to them. Um, I would suggest that there's an opportunity there to, uh, to keep your eye on that person. And, uh, and the signal to noise ratio uh, over the long run of a set of people like that may not be super strong, like nine out of 10 of those people may end up fading away or being full of hot air or uh, not being able to sustain ongoing content uh, production or what have you. Um, but early access and development of a relationship, especially with someone that you like, uh, who ends up uh, growing into a position of thought leadership, uh, means more time spent with their work and in uh, a more impactful relationship. So you're getting at something that we do with clients uh, and uh, 
so when when we're looking inside an organization and so the social web and we're trying to find influencers because yeah it's obvious who the the executives are the people in official leadership roles but who are the people who move the needle inside and there's a couple ways you can do it the first one is like the really dirty method which is you ask 50 people for the five people who they are their go-to people and then you take that list and like you can just sort and be like okay boom here are the 10 people that matter most in this this community or this organization um, the other thing that we do when we're doing community strategies is we basically try and draft out the social network around the key individuals we want in the community say where does this one individual spend their time and so their influencers are not just other people and roles they could be information sources like a doctor reads the new england journal of medicine that is influential to them um, and so we try and figure out who their scope of time and influence like how much time do they spend and who is it spent with and then we pick off the two or three people or roles that are most important to them and they spend the most time getting and giving value to and we say if those three personas aren't also in the community that person is not going to be in the community because that person is paying attention to those three other people and like they don't care if there's this new influencer channel that they have never in the past paid attention to why should they start now most most valuable people don't have extra time to just come to your community and so like how can you aggregate enough that that aggregation has value and then you layer on other engagement while they're there i think that makes a lot of sense and like you said i mean if the three people that that one person is going to aren't involved chances are they might not even hear about it they might not even be aware of it they being don't care if they do because exactly. they'll be like that's not who gets my attention right it's not where i'm getting my information and so we like do that kind of interviewing with executives a lot too because people keep trying to sell to executives like executives very rarely do the due diligence of buying a product that's not their role their role is to staff people they trust to go do that due diligence so right. like find out who those people are because they're much more influential to the final decision yeah the executive may hold the purse strings but like they neither have the time nor the interest to really engage with you right it, it, it's funny because that's something you know i, I it, at DevRelate, we do a lot with our clients is pointing out, we've had many people like, we need to get into the enterprise. We need to be talking to CTOs. It's like, why would you, why would you want to do that? Like, yes, they're the ones that sign the check, but they're not the one who are going to be using your product. Um, you need to talk to the people who are using your product, turn them into champions, yeah. have them run it up the flagpole and get the CTO to sign the check. Yeah. That's how influence works in an organization. At least every tech organization I've ever worked for. It's kind of this obliquity idea. There's this book called Obliquity that any complex goals you can't go at directly. Everyone wants to go at it directly and you're like, that's not, that's not actually the way you get, like you're actually going to be less effective if you go directly than if you go uh, in a, a indirect. Right, right. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly we have a, a huge visual graph. <laughs>
Oh, I, I, uh, I thought you might be interested to see in, uh, I know we're, we're audio only, right? But when we do a, a graph analysis of the external world of developer relations, uh, the, uh, the folks that are in the very center of that network, the people that uh, other DevRel folks are, are listening to the most and the organizations, uh, to Rachel's point, are, are, uh, are these folks. GitHub, right at the very center of the graph. Ashley McNamara. Chloe Condon, I love her, even though I, I'm not really in her world. She, but this makes sense her. to me because these are these are people who are out there who are talking. <gasps> about it's Mary. Are, oh, <laughs> but who are who are influential in providing resources that are valuable to people around them and in these fields. There you are, Mary. Look at that, right near the top of the list. <laughs> you can now say we can now say this podcast is hosted by. Um, by one of the top 10 influencers in developer relations. <laughs> Not to mention, I, would, I, think, I, would I think that could be recorded, but it already is. So. I think, I think out of the, out of the top 10 there, actually, we've had like seven of them on the show. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, we really can't have all of GitHub. It's too difficult. Really <laughs> remarkable here are, uh, are the gender breakouts as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, eight of the top 10 present as female, at least uh, by my eyes, if I may be so bold and limited by a gender binary. Right. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Well, we'll see if we can maybe include a couple screenshots of that, Marshall. Yeah, if, if you could email it to us, that would be awesome. Up in the, show notes for um, the gender issue is interesting, and not because I think women have more capacity necessarily, but we have been socialized to be more relational, which then, and actually, Marshall, you probably read this book, Connected. Um, they, they looked at the Framingham Heart Study and how influence works. And it turns out our behaviors are influenced not just by our direct connections, but our second degree connections. So if our second degree connections are, are obese or uh, smoke or whatever, we're like, 30% more likely to as well, which is like kind of a mind bend. Um, but they also pointed out that women are more influential in those behaviors than men. Have more influence, not, not are more influenced. No, have more influence on behavior patterns. Mm -hmm. Oh God, why is the world such an awful mess then? Well, so like, because we have an outdated idea of what leadership looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I hear I hear another episode brewing. Yeah, here. that could be a whole other episode. <laughs> um, but for this one, we need to we need to probably wrap it up. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately. Uh, before we do that, we have our checkouts. Um, I feel like you've both already given us like forty checkouts. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of show notes for this one. Um, good. Best of luck to Mary on that. Um, yep. So I'll, I'll start to give you an idea. We always like to do checkouts. Um, we'll mention some things. I, I will start it off. Uh, 
I've been doing this thing for a while. If you follow me on Twitter, I do an album of the day and there are certain people that get copied. If you'd like to be copied, cool. I'm running out of space because Twitter limits your number of characters. But today's album of the day I thought was amazing. It came out last month. It was by a gentleman called Gary Clark Jr., guitar player from Austin, Texas. Uh, and the name of the album is This Land. Absolutely fantastic. Almost reminiscent of like a Marvin Gaye what's going on moment of, you know, a picture of modern life for... Uh, uh, a black man in Texas trying to raise a family and some of those struggles that he goes through uh, very realistically taking them from his life and turning them into music. Great album. Um, link in the show notes. Uh, what else we've got? Uh, I just recently switched uh, Deverlate from QuickBooks, which was, I don't know how to say it nicely. So I just won't, it was kind of a pain in the ass um, to an application called wave, the wave app uh, handles billing, invoicing expenses and does all the tracking for you and reconciliation. It is great little company out of Toronto. So check it out. It is waveapps.com. Um, and finally, my last checkout is DevOps Days Buffalo is coming up in September. I'm helping the folks out and it's going to, we just announced our speaker lineup. It's absolutely amazing and you should not miss it. So DevOps Days Buffalo is September 26th and 27th. There will be a link to tickets in the show notes. Who would like to go next? I have a good diverse set that I just made up. Go for I it. One that's just uh, one of the things I've tried to do with my social media feeds is start following things that change my perspective of something so that I'm seeing images that, that counteract some of the public narrative. So one of the outlets I follow is Good Black News, just because you get a healthier image of that population than is typically out there. Um, unrelated to that, if you don't follow effing birds on Twitter, it just makes my day. Like it's it's very context specific, but also like not 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 nice language, but so funny. Um, and then finally, I feel like I I am in the middle of our tenth uh, research effort doing state of community management, and that's out in June. So I feel like I need to say that because that's a lot of my work right now. Awesome. Uh, I will will share two things. First, uh, I, I feel not only obliged, but also happy uh, to say that uh, the Sprinkler Company blog is expanding quickly and uh, producing a lot of, of really high quality content that I hope people will check out, including webinars and blog posts and more. Uh, but uh, less self-promotional is uh, I would really recommend that folks check out Rachel's article called Five Big Lessons in Community Building Based on a Decade of Experience. Uh, it, it's something I've read more than once and found really inspiring and uh, lots of useful tips and, and perspectives there. Thank you. Very awesome. cool. Awesome, awesome. Looking forward to checking all those out myself. Um, for me this week, uh, one kind of fun thing that I've been listening to as I, uh, take my dog Ember for a walk or work out in the yard or wash dishes cause I hate washing dishes. Um, I have a podcast that I've been going through for a while now called the adventure zone and it's put on by three brothers and their dad and it's a D and D podcast, um, mm -hmm. which on the one hand sounds incredibly boring and on the other hand is amazing storytelling. Um, so they've done a lot to strip out the, you know, the, 
the uh, we stop to eat or we stop to rest or the you know the more mundane things about D and D. Um, but it's just a fantastic story that is I don't even know probably eighty or ninety episodes long, um, and it's just it's a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, I find myself laugh, laughing as I'm listening on Muni and then realizing people probably don't think I'm all right in the head, um, but that's okay. This uh, in San Francisco, right? Exactly. No one notices. No one <laughs> notices at all. Fine. Um, and then a book that I've been digging into lately and taking slowly, even though it's a short book um, because it's very interactive, is called How to Not Always Be Working um, by Marley Grace. And it's something that I've been working on lately. Um, I work from home and I'm a sole proprietor and finding, finding out ways to turn my brain off and not be thinking about work is difficult, um, particularly when so much of my work is networking and connecting with people and connecting people. And so turning off Twitter, turning off Slack, um, turning off the communities that I'm a part of um, and things that I'm researching and just kind of getting getting myself in a place where I can build other habits outside of work and, and draw those boundary lines has been really good. Um, and it's a fantastic, like I said, interactive book um, that kind of helps you dig into, you know, self care, but also just creativity and, and kind of documenting and working through some of the, the core issues that can lead to burnout, which has been really great. So yeah, those are mine. And I think with that, we are at our time for today. But thank you so much to, to Marshall and Rachel, both of you, for being here. This was a great conversation and no, no different than what we usually say, but it <laughs> could easily be two or three more episodes in and of itself. So we'd love to continue the conversations at another time. But thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank and you for having us. Absolutely. Uh, you want to remind folks one more time where they can find you on Twitter or online if they're interested in learning more about what you're working on? Yeah, I am just R-H-A-P-P-E on the Twitters. I am at Marshall K. Great. Well, thanks so much for listening. This has been another episode of Community Pulse, and we'll talk to you all again soon. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.